Hey, Prodigal, thanks for joining us today for week two of the Lost Art of Friendship. Here at Prodigal, we love our kids and youth. Thank you to all the volunteers who attended our training last week. You make everything we do for kids possible. With Halloween behind us, we do what everyone else does. Look straight through Thanksgiving and on to Christmas. We have our annual Christmas stars available, so on your way out, grab a star or two. And let's bring joy to these families through gifts of love this Christmas. Our churchwide gift wrapping event is right here at Bullard on December 3rd, so bring those unwrapped gifts back ASAP. As the year starts winding down, we'll be doing our end of the year giving push. If you do choose to give above and beyond, these gifts go towards our ongoing facility search, to extending our staff, and our ability to do more acts of love in our community and in our world. Thank you so much for your generous support of what we do here at Prodigal Church. Speaking of giving, if you'd like to do so, you can give on our app, website, or in the lobby. And speaking of that app, if you don't already have it, get it downloaded. It's the best way to stay up to date with all that's going on during the holidays. That's all of the announcements. We hope you have a great Sunday, church. Today we are in week two of The Lost Art of Friendship, and this month we're exploring how we as a faith community are called to foster the relationships that we already have, and then make room to let new ones emerge. So let's start with numbers, okay? Numbers are fun. A University of Kansas study researched the number of hours required for friendship. They concluded you needed 50 hours to be casual friends. 50 hours of spending time together, uh, 90 hours to be an actual friend, and 200 hours to be a good friend. 200. That's why a dog is man's best friend. Okay? They're always there. And it's also why a cat is nobody's friend. Okay? They're just off by themselves somewhere. Now, a similar study looked at how many hours per month we spend with our friends. And if we go back 20 years, the average person would spend 30 hours a month with their friend. That's about seven and a half hours per week. And today, on average, we spend about 10 hours per month with our friends. What happened? Sociologists documented a deep nosedive in time spent with friends in 2008. Anybody know what happened in 2008? That's when the smartphone came out. And all of a sudden, we had a new friend to occupy our time. You know that there is this thing on our phones that tells you how much time you spend on your phone? It's called screen time. It tells you each week how much you're on your phone. And whatever number of minutes or hours that you think it's gonna say, triple it. Okay? It is so much higher than you think. Our screens are discipling us. Uh, I am 42 years old. I grew up knowing that when you ring a doorbell, you ring it with your ind index finger. Whenever I ring a doorbell, this is the finger you're supposed to use. But if you are under 20, the latest studies show that you do not use the index finger, but rather the thumb to ring the doorbell. The thumb has become the dominant finger with the abundance of access to our smartphones. 
Technology has actually rewired an entire generation. Now, just so you guys know, if you are young and you're listening to this, you do not ring a doorbell like this, okay? You ring it like this, can I get an amen? This has gotta stop. The, this effect that cell phones have had on us, um, this rewiring doesn't just stop with which phalange we use to ring a doorbell. It goes significantly deeper than that. We have to address the elephant in the room. There's an article in the New York Times um, called The Rise of the Toilet Texter. Okay? It said 75% of smartphone users are on their phones when they're in the bathroom, which is interesting, but what's even more interesting is that 30% of Americans said that they would not go into the bathrooms without their phones. Not gonna do it. Not gonna go in there all by myself. Nothing to do. The average person picks up their phones 80,000 times per year, which would be once every four minutes. It's no wonder we spend less time with friends. Now, cell phones are not all bad. Certainly they're helpful in countless ways and can be a very positive thing in our lives and in our world. We're connected to people in ways that we never dreamed possible. We're more connected than ever and at the same time, we're more lonely than ever. There are a lot of people where everyone knows their name, but nobody knows their pain. So our screens take away from spending time with our friends and also our screens are fostering something inside of us that leads us away from our friends rather than toward them. How? What? One word. Envy. Love rejoices in our neighbor's good. Envy grieves over it. Joseph Epstein said, of all the deadly sins, only envy is no fun at all. Lust, gluttony, they can be fun, at least in the moment, but who enjoys envy even for a second? Socrates called envy the ulcer of the soul. The scriptures speak a lot of it. Proverbs 14, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Hatred will identify your enemy. Envy will identify your frenemy. And I just wanna say, it does something to us and it's not good. It can, envy can quite literally steal our joy. It takes our capacity to enjoy the life we've been given. We're always feeling slighted. We're always feeling robbed, cheated, underappreciated. We experience our own life as a lacking. In envy, we tend to magnify that person's good fortune while at the same time minimizing our own. You know what envy is? Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives while ignoring his goodness in mine. In envy, it breeds on proximity. Those who are too far above me, I cannot imagine myself in their position. Why would I envy the achievements of Bill Gates or the status of Bill Gates? His world is so beyond my reach, it's irrelevant, but the pastor down the street, 
my friend who makes a lot more and has a bigger house and goes on better vacations, well, that is a horse of a different color. And just for your own amusement, I will give you a list of some of the people that I have envied. People who are more athletic than me, people who are smarter than me, people who are better looking than me, people who have better hair than me, people who have more hair than me, weightlifters, musicians, people who are better pastors, better speakers, better leaders, people with bigger churches, people who are better at confrontation than I am. That when they get mad, they don't sulk or retreat or feel sorry for themselves, they just get more articulate. And if you are here today, if you are watching this online and you don't have a problem with envy, I envy you too. Social scientists have documented the impact of social media on envy. And because we have more access to more successes by more people, by people like us than ever before in history, and they seem to be recording all of their triumphs and showing them to us, everybody seems to have better jobs, better kids, better dining experiences, better vacations. The more time we spend on social media, the more envy we experience. And envy is such a miserable thing, and yet we do it to ourselves. We experience life as a chore rather than a gift, a curse rather than a blessing, a weight rather than a grace. Envy is the ongoing regret of the life that we have been given. Too many of us are eaten up by envy, hanging on to God with one hand while using the other to clutch for the life of another. What can we do? Envy wrecks our friendships. Envy rots our bones. How can we make it stop? One word, love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Love does not envy. Envy, in many ways, is the opposite of love. A, a person of love feels enhanced by the well-being of others. A, a person of envy feels diminished by the well-being of others. Love allows me to experience joy and gratitude that that family gets to go on a fun vacation. God, I pray that they have the best time ever at Disney World in Florida. I pray that that trip makes them closer as a family and that those kids remember this moment, those rides, that time with their family with joy for the rest of their lives. What happens if we replace envy with love? When I love somebody, I constantly want to build them up. When I envy somebody, I compare myself to them and I actually want them to be torn down. No one can get rid of envy by trying really hard not to envy. That is never the way of spiritual transformation. Envy can only be removed when it is replaced with love. When love is present, there's no room for envy to grow. People who are frenemies can become friends once again. You can think of it like this. All of us experience this to some extent. Uh, there are people who are in my circle of oneness. 
It could be my family, it could be really close friends, and in a very real way, we're connected as one. They do well, I do well. I rejoice. They hurt, I suffer. And then there are people in what I might call my circle of rivals. And with them, it's the opposite. If they do well, I feel diminished. If they go south and have problems, I kind of feel a little bit better about myself. And Jesus's plan is just to take those who are currently in your circle of rivals and bring them into your circle of oneness. One family. There is neither Jew nor Gentile nor slave nor free nor male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. A family therapist named Jim Roberts was visiting his son's fourth grade class when the teacher initiated a game called Balloon Stomp. Every child had a balloon tied around their leg and the object of the game was to protect your balloon all the while trying to stomp and pop everyone else's balloon. It was a very Darwinian game, a survival of the fittest, every man for himself. So except for a few timid souls who knew that they could never win, uh, they committed balloon suicide by popping their own balloon first. The whole game was over quickly with the biggest, toughest, strongest, meanest kids winning. And then a disturbing thing happened. Another class. This one with students with intellectual disabilities was brought in to play the game. Uh, the balloons were tied around their legs, instructions were read to them, and Jim Roberts said that he began to get a sick feeling in his stomach because he knew what he was about to see. And then the strangest thing happened. They understood the idea that the balloon needed to be popped, but they got the dog-eat-dog -dog part wrong. And they went about methodically, happily, joyfully, helping each other pop the balloons. One little girl carefully held her balloon in place while a little boy popped it, and he held his balloon down so that she could have a turn. And when the last balloon was popped, everybody cheered, everybody won. They just did the opposite. Which game are you gonna play this week? I think Jesus would say, keep score by how many people am I going to help? Who could I encourage to shine? Who could I thank? Who can I compliment? Who could I recognize? Who could I reach out to? Who could I brag about behind their back to other people? This week, let's make it concrete. Let's make it real. Pray for your competitor to shine. On January 5th, the year 2000, I was almost arrested. Let me tell you the story. I was 19 years old and it was my last night in the United States. The next day I was getting on a plane to go to Southeastern Africa and I wouldn't be coming home for six months. My friends and I were pulling pranks on some of the girls that we knew, and we were teeping houses, we were doorbell ditching, we were penny tapping, you know, the usual. But my friend had a megaphone and a security grade QB. 
Now, it was a massive handheld flashlight that would absolutely blind people if you looked right at it. And so a bunch of us pile in my friend Ryan Suburban, and of course there weren't enough seatbelts, and so I was laying in the back with my friend. And we drive to these girls' houses in the middle of the night, and we get on the megaphone and say, attention, please come outside with your hands in the air, please. And so the first house we go to was Ashley Brown's house. And Ashley was our friend TJ's ex-girlfriend, okay? She dumped him a few months back. Okay. Attention, Ashley Brown, please come outside with your hands in the air. She kind of comes out, okay, like with this. And she's, she's wearing like a super baggy Looney Tunes Tweety Bird shirt and plaid pajamas. And, and Tweety Bird's like, like a gangster on the shirt. And the Q-beam is shining right on her face, just absolutely blinding her. Everything is working to perfection, except once she got outside, we didn't really have anything planned to say or who was gonna say it. And so I grabbed the microphone and I was like, we know what you did. And she's like, Ex excuse me? We know what you did. I'm like, Let's see where this goes. And she's like, okay. And then TJ grabs the megaphone from me and says, what's the real reason you broke up with TJ? Who's the other guy? And now at this point, we're going to take the mic back. And she's like, TJ, is that you? And he's like, no, it's not me. You're so immature. That's why we broke up. And TJ's like, nice shirt, Tweety Bird. I taught, I taught, putty dad. And we just sped off, okay? We would do encounters like this all night long. Hysterical encounters in front of their houses. We were having a blast with this Q-beam. About 45 minutes later, we saw another Q-beam. This time it was shining through the back window while we were driving. It was followed by some blue and red flashing lights. It seems that we didn't realize that when you shine a Q-beam in someone's windows and then you use a megaphone, legally that's called impersonating an officer, which is a felony. So we get pulled over. And remember, I'm laying down in the back of the Suburban, and the officer says to the driver, Ryan, uh, do you have a Q-beam in the vehicle? And Ryan says, I don't have one. And then the officer uses his flashlight to shine right on top of the Q-beam sitting next to the driver. And the cop says, what's that? Ryan says, it's a Q-beam. And he, the cop says, you said you didn't have one. He said, I don't have one, it's not mine. And then he says, get out of the car, sir. Now, my friend Matt and I are staring up at the ceiling of the Suburban for what seemed like hours, but was only a few minutes. We're like holding hands, okay? A tear falls down my cheek. Matt and I are silently praying that everything is going to be okay. And then the back window of our vehicle opened and the cop shines a light on our faces. And he says, which one of you is John Richardson? And my first thought was, I can't believe Ryan ratted me out. What a narc, okay? Snitches get stitches. So I said, I am officer. And he said, do you wanna to go to Africa tomorrow or do you wanna to go to county jail? Africa, sir. Then put away the megaphone, put away the Q-beam and get some sleep. You've got a long flight ahead of you. Yes, officer, yes I will. Okay, we drove home that night didn't say a word. 
What kind of friend are you? Are you the narc? Or are you the friend in the back of the suburban holding hands and praying in the midst of struggle? Proverbs 17. Whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. It's not saying that you need a friend to help you hide the body. No, but love sacrifices. And Jesus says the same thing, John 15. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus says that there's no greater love than this, okay? Sorry, Whitney Houston, learning to love yourself is not the greatest love of all. There's no greater love than laying your life down for another, and this is exactly what Jesus does. Did you know that God loves you? And not just loves you, but has the greatest kind of love for you. Sometimes we just need to hear the simple truth. God loves you. You. You who are listening to this for the very first time. You who are in Frankfurt, Germany, hearing this. You who are in Boardman, Ohio, listening to this. God has the greatest love for you. Right now, as you are. You who have been at Prodigal Church for a little over a year, God has the greatest love for you right now as you are. You who are struggling with addiction, struggling with your finances, struggling with your kids, struggling with your marriage, the God of the universe who can, who can palm the universe. It can't even palm a basketball, but God palms the universe. That God, the God, has the greatest love for you right now as you are. Greater love has no one in this to lay one's life down for one's friends. Jesus continues, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus is not only the standard of the perfect friend, he is also literally your friend. I no longer call you servants, I call you friends. This is unbelievably radical in the ancient world. The gods, they were master. They were angry. They were in charge. They were not friends. Jesus doesn't teach us just how to be friends. He is actually a friend. Proverbs 18:24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's Jesus. We go back to the basics here. Jesus loves you. And I know it sounds cheesy, but it's true. Jesus is the best friend you'll ever have. It, it can be that simple. It can be that elementary. In our PC Kids ministry here at Prodigal Church, sometimes we refer to Jesus as our forever friend. I like that. 
He's not only our forever friend, but what a beautiful and true way to introduce our children to Jesus, telling them that he is their forever friend. Jesus isn't just an example of the kind of friend we are called to be. He is also in this moment now, our best friend. Jesus is the friend who, in the middle of the night, holds your hand in the back of a suburban and prays with you in the midst of struggle. What a friend we have in Jesus. I've never heard you say, what have you done for me lately? What have you done to earn my grace? And I've never heard you speak Anything but your love for me Anything but identity What a friend I found in Jesus What a friend I found in you When no one else could keep their promise I can always count on you And you've only made me feel That I was welcome in your house that I was honored in the door And you've seen me at my worst But you never held it against me Running to me when I returned Oh, what a friend I found What a friend I found in Yeah.
When no one else could keep their promise, I can always count on you. God, we thank you that you are our friend. Not just our master, not just our Lord, not just our God, not just our Savior, our friend. Closer than a brother. I pray that we become better friends to others. We reach out, we encourage, we text, we grab lunch, we lift up, we build up. That frenemies can become friends once again. But also, Jesus, I pray that we get closer to you, that we spend time with you, we know your heart, and that you would influence and, and, and lead us to be the kind of people you call us to be. Let us get closer to you, closer to others, in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you so much for joining us online at Prodigal Church Fresno. Next week is the finale of our The Lost Art of Friendship sermon series, and it's also um, our Thanksgiving Sunday. So we've got some fun stuff planned here at Prodigal Church. We encourage you, if you are in the Central Valley, California, to come and uh, hang out with us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. in the Bullard High School Theater. We're going to have an absolute blast. Pray God's peace, blessings, joy on you this week and beyond. Peace in the Middle East.